Welcome to Stories in Bold. I'm Luke McGinty, and this is On the Hunt. Diaz Moldar was ready to make the kill, although at the moment he wasn't particularly enthusiastic about it. He didn't have any apprehensions about violence. He'd been doing this for far too long to be worried about anything like that. But as he sat there waiting to commit murder for hire, he felt a distinct sense of boredom. He had been following his mark for days, a man named Ryan Babbitt. He had committed two sins of the sort that led to being followed by a man like Diaz Moldar. He often reminded himself that everyone he killed was a sinner in one way or another. Good people weren't worth paying an assassin for. Babbitt's first sin was sleeping with another woman behind the back of his wife, who was herself wealthy and powerful in her own right, not the sort to go spurned quietly. The second sin, however, was the truly damning one. His father had died recently, and so Babbitt had inherited a very large sum of money, which he'd kept hidden overseas from his now doubly spurned and, worse from her perspective, comparatively far less wealthy wife and so began her hunt for a reputable, good-met, lip-tight, and undeniably violent man to serve justice upon her husband's sins. Diaz was such a man. And now was the day of retribution. When he got the job, he'd been glad for the familiar thrill of the hunt. He always liked playing a critical part in the climax of the story of a life. Yet somehow this time there was far less thrum in his blood than was normal. He was sure that would come soon enough, though. The hunt began early that morning. He ate and drank nothing. Instead, he spent the dark hours before sunrise preparing his equipment, cleaning and loading his guns, polishing his knives. Then he sat in the silence and watched the lights of the Manhattan skyline turn to silhouettes as the towers and lines of smoke were cast in shadow against the purple then red of the rising day. In that view, thousands were starting their days. Lives in the moment. Such a strange and beautiful thing. A life. Lived and then died. All the ordinary people. Lambs content to sit and live at their desks and in their pens. Or else die on the toilet. He hated them. And we are defined by the things we hate. He tried to lose himself in the ritual beauty the great joy of life that was the thrill of the hunt. But there was nothing. Normally by now he would be starving, yet not hungry beyond the need to kill. Now his stomach growled, and all he wanted was oatmeal, or maybe some buttered toast. He assured himself, the greed for brutality would kick in soon. It always did. He was dressed and parked in his car on 86 outside Babbitt's Brownstone, when again he heard his stomach rumble. He checked his watch. It was 5 a.m., and he was very, very hungry. Babbitt would be at work by 6, and there probably wouldn't be a good chance to pick him off until he went for lunch around 11. Maybe he'd take the subway today like he did sometimes on Fridays, and Diaz could just push him onto the tracks or else pull him into a corner and stab him in the gut before taking his wallet and watch. The death would be ruled either a horrible accident or a garden-variety mugging gone wrong. No one would investigate much, and he'd have plenty of time to grab coffee and mimosas over brunch at Sarah Beth's. But to his annoyance, a black car pulled up in front of the house and Babbitt got in. He waited half a block before tailing them to the office. He found a place to park and walked increasingly larger circles around the area of the building. 
It was only 8.30 and the hunger was unbearable. Maybe he could grab a quick bagel at a bodega somewhere. No, he reminded himself. No eating. You have to kill someone today. He was very off his game. He sat on a bench to let the cold seep into his bones so he could assess the situation. What was going wrong here? The money was good, the mark was acceptably morally dubious, or at least not particularly morally upright or innocent, and it had been a few weeks since his last kill. He had not a problem then, had he? Diaz thought back to that hit. It was out in Kentucky, one horse breeder out for revenge against another for some slight. Honor was a powerful motivator. He had killed the man in his stables, caving in his head with an iron gate. But wait, it had been warm then. Hot, even. He was covered in sweat. It had been summer. That wasn't his last job. He'd completely forgotten about the hotelier in Vermont who'd caught that local politician taking a bribe. He was an older man, but strong enough and more full of fight than most. The brawl had made a real mess of the penthouse, throwing each other against walls and chucking silverware. He'd melted the man's face on a clothes iron he'd been using on his shirts when Diaz walked in. Luckily, the hotel was almost empty so no one heard the screaming before he jabbed a shard of glass into the man's throat. He remembered more of the details now. The place was almost empty. It was between seasons, before the ski and snowboard crowd came in, but after the summertime leisure folks were gone. That was September. Months ago. Finally, he realized it was the oil thing. That was his last job before this one. It had been simple enough rifle from a rooftop work. A petro-dictator in a desert somewhere he forgot had needed a rogue family member killed. He paid handsomely. Diaz shot the target in broad daylight on a public street. In totalitarian societies, important people are only killed by even more important people. No one batted an eye. That was November, his real last job. And now there was Babbitt. What had he been doing since then? It was February, and he thought back on the last few weeks. A cloudy haze of jogging, reading, occasionally seducing women, and usually drinking himself into a stupor at least every other night. He hadn't done anything he really enjoyed in the last six months. And that included all the killing. How had this happened? He'd spent his entire life hating the cowards who sacrificed their lives and their time at a desk, on the altar of nothing at all. Now here he was, a lamb just like them, bored and helpless in his office. He got back in front of Babbitt's office just before 9.30. He still had a man to kill, regardless of whatever state of mind he was in. He decided to kill Babbitt on his lunch break, even if it had to be public and messy. Then he could get some waffles, a stiff drink, and to the bottom of all this. He settled in for a long stakeout, but Babbitt came out much earlier than expected. He went off in the opposite direction of his normal lunch place, towards 8th Avenue and thick bands of people. Diaz followed on foot, constantly scanning for an alleyway or open sewer grate. This route was unexpected, but he'd still done his prep work. He knew there wasn't much useful in this direction. Babbitt was walking fast, like he had somewhere to go. Diaz was in the mood to get this over with, but now it was far too crowded even for a bold-faced kill. This was getting very inconvenient. Finally, Babbitt turned into a nondescript building covered in scaffolding. He waved at the doorman, and Diaz did the same. He had the vague sense that he'd been in the building before. Maybe he had. Probably he had. Who cares? They waited for an elevator, and he considered strangulation between floors, but there were always cameras in those things. They got in, and Babbitt pressed for the 14th floor. Somehow that seemed familiar, too. Why was that? When had he been here before? 
Another hit, maybe. It must have been years ago. Are you taking a class as well? Diaz looked up. Babbitt was staring right at him. He'd been too caught up in his thoughts to press a decoy button. Now they were headed to the same floor. Always suspicious. Uh, sorry. What? He stalled for time. You're on 14-2, Babbitt said. Are you here for a writing class? Yeah, Diaz mumbled. First one. Me too. Good luck. Diaz Moldar looked off into the steel wall of the elevator. He realized he'd just lied without meaning to. This wasn't his first writing class. He'd been here years ago, in his twenties before all the violence, before he realized just how much he loved to kill. Simpler times. All he'd had to do back then was wait tables and write. And he had loved to write. He was even good at it when he had the right idea. Other people loved their sob stories, but he was what the literary types called a genre writer. For them, it was almost an insult, but he took it as a compliment. It meant that he wrote interesting stories where things actually happened. He knew his worth. Once he got a story going, it didn't matter who you were or what you liked. You needed to know how it all turned out. Remembering all this, he started to smile. He turned to Babbitt, the man he was supposed to kill. I'm excited, he said. I haven't written in years. They got out on 14, and he charmed his way past the class check-in person. A part-time literary bureaucrat was easy enough work for a professional murderer who regularly grifted his way into consulates and high-security corporate offices. Babbitt was in some literary non-fiction workshop that sounded boring as all hell. Diaz had no desire to follow him. Instead, he took a seat in an intermediate fiction class. The professor came in carrying a hot lunch in a plastic bag. He smelled the food and realized he was no longer hungry. His foot was tapping, and most importantly, he didn't have anything to write with. An old woman next to him was chatting with her neighbor, so he unzipped her bag, found a pen, and ripped off a handful of paper out of her notebook. He smoothed the crinkled few pages on the table as the professor introduced herself. He was shaking and picked off the scraggly mess of ringlets that had connected his pages to that woman's notebook. People were going around and introducing themselves, but he couldn't listen, couldn't wait anymore, couldn't stop tapping his foot. His eyes were wide and he was looking everywhere as he clicked his stolen pen at a mile a minute. Ideas, years old and brewing, grew in his blood and itched at his fingers to get out finally. Diaz Moldar had killed dozens or even hundreds of men and women. He didn't know the exact number, but he had broken countless bodies, his will always triumphing over theirs. He was as strong a person as there ever could be. But now the need in him was crippling, and he broke to it. He collapsed, bent low over the table with his whole being in the tip of his pen as it crawled and spent its inky life to mark the white of the page with something worth seeing. Babbitt was gone, his hunger was gone, everything else was gone, the wasting, the violence, the boredom. None of it was anything. Now there was only the story. His whole life was in those lines, and he would live whole lives in making them. He wrote the title, and then the words began. You just heard On the Hunt, a story by me, Luke McGinty. And this, in case you're new, is Stories in Bold. So I always feel a little bit weird about the stereotype of writers writing stories about writing. A bit like how in every movie the main character is a struggling screenwriter. It's a bit cringy, but there is something fun about having someone come to this great realization that they love writing. Because 
I really enjoy it. Uh, so this was a really fun story for me to write because I enjoy writing about weird people and weird notions. I, I would sometimes summarize this story to people as, oh, as an assassin who's having a midlife crisis. And people are always interested because it's such a weird idea. And, you know, I did a little bit of editing here and there to cut things down and kind of keep it snappy. It's still a bit long, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. And the, de- the descriptions of murder were super fun for me. Maybe that sounds a bit weird, but I enjoyed kind of uh, getting in the headspace of someone. And I hope that the the turn at the end didn't seem too abrupt. I was hoping to kind of establish throughout that he's this uh, kind of needy, desperate, arty sort of guy just because of the voice. He likes to describe the city and the smoke rising over the skyscrapers. And then maybe that makes it feel like, oh, that makes sense that he took writing classes in his youth. I'm still figuring out how to do this whole payoff climax thing. For me, one of the most interesting writing classes I ever took was a flash fiction class. For those of you who don't know, flash fiction is basically if something is longer than 800 words, it's not flash. And the shortest thing that's flash might be 50 words, but 50, 200, at most 800 words. Flash fiction, one page, two pages. Super interesting, quick. How quickly can you get the payoff out? How do you do the setup, the characters, the setting, all of it, and make it real and punchy? I sort of, as a writer, think of that as the aspiration. So something like this that I think is almost 2,000 words or maybe a little more feels enormously long to me. And yet I want to put out good content for you guys. So, you know, let me know if you think it's too much or too little or you want more. As for this character, Diaz Moldar, I really enjoyed writing him. I had a bit more of Babith in the beginning at one point, sort of telling you about him. At one point in the the first draft, I had this ambiguous paragraph in the beginning where I wasn't quite clarifying who the he is referring to. So I start with uh, Diaz saying he's trailing Babith, and then, you know, go, he realized he had a very ordinary life. And the he's are ambiguous, so you I intended it initially to be describing, oh, Babbath has this life where he just goes to work and then he travels sometimes and that's pretty much all he does. And then because of the ambiguity, it's also describing, you know, Diaz Moldar and sort of the idea to put you in that headspace of they're both just working schlubs. Um, and there was another line in there, which I think I kept. I can't remember. I'm just recording this after. But uh, there was a line about living the whole life in the pen, which is used dismissively by Moldar to you know describe people who work office jobs and normal stuff like that that he so consciously is trying to avoid and yet finding in the end that there's nothing wrong with living your whole life in the pen and the climax of the story is him living whole lives in a pen and the pen living its life writing stories across the page i hope you like that line i I thought that was fun um but so that twist was good i hoped And I'm rushing this one out. I think this should be on the air or on the line or whatever you want to call it before the end of the year. I really wanted to rush to get another episode out for you guys. No, probably no one's going to listen to it getting ready for New Year's Eve parties. But hey, if you want to pregame to it, you know, be my be my uh, guest. I wanted to get this out so I could say I got five out in the year. I know it was a big breaks and I was inconsistent. But for anyone who's listening, I really do appreciate your continued support. I'm going to really start to churn things out more in 2020. The goal, and I don't want to set a number, but I'd love to get something like somewhere between 10 and 20 or more. I want to get really productive. I want to build the audience. I want to get you guys involved, get stuff going. We're going to set up, really set up that Instagram. I know I've been publicizing it, but I want to do collaborations with artists. So if you make art, let me know. But I really want to get things going. I'm excited. And this story, you know, is about... Uh, someone, bad person, a, a career murderer, 
but someone finding their passion, finding something they're great at, finding something they love and can apply themselves to, which was in The Lonely Entertainer as well. So it's a bit of a theme I'm realizing with my work. But I think, you know, that's because for me, it's something I care about, finding how to spend your days, how you want to spend your time. That's a lot of what life is about. So wrapping things up here, you know, thank you everyone who's been listening. Thank you everyone who's been here. Hopefully there'll be more of you. It's been a good 2019, difficult, turbulent in lots of ways, but 2019 is almost done now. Looking forward to 2020. I hope you guys are there with me. I wish you all luck. And uh, this has been Stories in Bold. Follow us on uh, social media. I'm on Twitter at uh, McGinty Live on Instagram at McGinty Live. And we do have an Instagram for the podcast, which is still blank, but hopefully we'll start updating once I really start publicizing these things. That is at Stories in Bold. And you can check out reading the stories if you want on my website, theradicalbalance.com. So now that we've got all the publication and promotion out of the way, thanks again for listening. And thank you for being here. Happy New Year. Thank you.